0: Getting a divorce, even thinking about getting a divorce can be overwhelming, scary and sometimes exciting. Join divorce coach and mediator Mandy Walker for Conversations About Divorce. The more you know, the easier it will be to make your divorce healthier, less stressful and to put it behind you. Here's Mandy.
1: Welcome to Conversations About Divorce. I'm Mandy Walker and today we're talking about finding the right divorce attorney for you. Now more and more people are filing for divorce themselves without attorneys, but that doesn't mean they aren't getting legal advice. And in my opinion, most people do need legal advice on at least some aspect of their situation. And for some of them, a pro se divorce may turn into a fully contested divorce with a trial. The challenge for most people is that in choosing a divorce attorney is knowing where to start. You're unfamiliar with the legal system in general and with domestic relations in particular. You're overwhelmed by the end of your marriage and don't know enough about parenting after divorce or divorce financials to know if something is an issue or an obstacle. And you've had little experience dealing with attorneys, so it's hard to know who's going to do a good job or even what is a good job. You ask your friends and families and co-workers who they used, and that's a problem that because it's not making an informed, well researched decision. So, what do you do? Well, my guests today are Kelly Frawley and Emily Pollock, New York based matrimonial and family law attorneys and partners at Kasowitz, Benson, and Torres. And Emily and Kelly are here to tell us, help answer all of those questions. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Mandy. Happy to be here. This is Kelly.
1: And this is Emily. I'm also happy to be here. Great. <laughs> Um, I thought if we could just start off with a very brief overview of the different ways of working with attorneys, because then we can make sure we get the terminology right and our listeners can follow along. So I've got a few different ways. Uh, pro se, which I mentioned in the introduction, means that you don't have an attorney representing you and you're if you go to court, you're doing it totally on your own. That's right. Um, and then, I don't know about New York in, in Colorado I, or elsewhere, I've heard about, there's terms where you can get a consult on an as-needed basis. It's good for very specific, well-defined issues. People might refer to it as unbundled, ad hoc, a la carte.
0: Well, this is Kelly. Uh, you know, I have to say, I'm not sure, and Emily, chime in here. I don't know if... Um, Ethically, we're actually permitted to do that in the city. I know um, there, in and, and, and the reason I'm hesitating with that one is because you don't ever want to give the appearance that you are representing somebody. You're sort of like ghosting them in some way with their representation. Um, Emily, do, okay. do you have
1: uh, – so that I might be, a, yeah. That, so I, that might be something that differs by
2: state. It may be. I, I think. I think you're absolutely right, Kelly. In, in New York, if you um, are representing to the court that you're pro se, then we, as as attorneys, are not really permitted to kind of be the wizard behind the scenes advising you. Um, however, right. sometimes something that's in between representing you in a divorce case and um, and having you be totally without counsel is when we do consulting, um, either because you already have counsel and you're looking for um, an additional perspective, so we may act as counsel in a case where we're not the primary counsel, but we're sort of um, a consulting attorney, or if you're doing mediation, that's another situation where it's um, common to have an attorney of your own who you consult with, and that helps you engage in the mediation in a more informed way.
1: Okay. Um, And so then I also have limited representation where, um, and again, I guess this may differ by states, but I know here in Colorado, attorneys can enter, can um, represent you for a specific hearing and then withdraw
0: from the case. This is Kelly. And I, again, I'd, I'd have to say that we, I don't know, if we're ethically prohibits from doing that, but we don't here. Um, you know, in New York City, where we mostly practice, the once you're, once you've appeared formally in a case, it is very difficult to uh, be relieved from the case, uh, even if, even in some circumstances where your client wants you to be relieved, the judge could, um, you know, tell your client that it's not something that the court will be happy with uh, because it could result in a delay in the proceeding. So um, I've never heard of um, in a divorce here in New York where somebody is just representing a party for a limited purpose. Um, That, you know, just to summarize, I don't know if they can't do that, um, but I I imagine judges would not be very happy with that arrangement.
2: I was just going to say, uh, this is Emily, I I think in New York, frequently if the parties have the resources to have attorneys, the courts would much prefer that they do so once the court kind of gets their gets their hands on an attorney in a case they're going to be a little reticent to let them go
1: right so what you're talking about then is full representation Correct. right um and that's really where the, an attorney is handling your case suit right and
0: not. i actually it, 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 That's a a technical term. Definitely the nuts part we're handling. But um, (laughs) I think that, again, this is Kelly, I think that um, really to effectively represent somebody in connection with a matrimonial matter, you have to handle, I'd say, all aspects. Because even if you're simply doing, let's just say you could do this type of bundle situation where maybe you're just going to handle the custody aspect. There could be issues that arise in the custody case that actually would impact how child support will be decided or you know how the marital home will be distributed in the event of a divorce. So I think it would be very challenging for a lawyer to effectively represent somebody unless they're handling all issues.
1: Okay. So then um, let me jump to you you know that you need an attorney and you're going to start talking to attorneys. What are some of the topics or questions you should explore when you, in those, in that initial conversation?
0: Do you want to take this Emily?
2: Sure. Um, I think, you know, when you first meet with an attorney before you even get to the part where you're having a meeting with them, you want to do a little bit of research about the, the person that you're meeting. Um, however you were referred to them. I know you mentioned sometimes you get referred by a friend or a coworker. Um, Sometimes people go to their professional advisors, a financial advisor, a trust and estates lawyer. They ask for recommendations. I think it's helpful to ask why the person is recommending the person that they're recommending because that can tell you a little bit about their reputation and, and what you should expect going in. They may say, you know, this person is um, really knowledgeable in the area of law. She's also very familiar with that practice area in and the, the bar and the bench in the area where you're going to be litigating. Um, and then they may say something like she's also very compassionate or she's exceedingly aggressive or whatever it is that they think is um, sort of the benefit of this person, which can tell you a little bit about whether that's going to be a fit before you even go in. You can also do a little online research to look at whether they um, have any articles that they've written if they have any books that are published if they're um, regularly lecturing in the practice area to see if they really are a matrimonial attorney or if they're you know a tax attorney who does divorces sometimes um, which is not what you want if you're going to get a matrimonial attorney a family law attorney you want to get somebody who actually specializes in that practice area and then once you're there mm-hmm. um, I think you want to get a sense of what they think the litigation will look like um, sort of a big picture of what the they expect the process to be, um, what kinds of things they think you should be doing as you prepare for the divorce process. Do they know your spouse's attorney, if your spouse already has an attorney? And if so, you know, what kind of relationship do they have? Clients are often very concerned about attorneys knowing each other, but the reality is it's very helpful when attorneys have a baseline of uh, a relationship with each other because it helps them move the case forward productively. Um, Do they typically represent only moneyed spouses or non-moneyed spouses? Do they typically represent only moms or dads? Um, Kind of get a history of what kinds of cases they take so that you know whether they're used to representing whatever your sort of position is going to be. Um, Those kinds of questions should be enough to give you a sense of whether this is a person that you can really connect with and get along with, which is important with your divorce attorney. Um, And finally, I think it's really important to hear if they are being realistic with you or if they're telling you what you want to hear. Um, Commonly, you know, I had a case last year with a client who had done a consultation with me. She felt like what I said was not what she wanted to hear. She hired somebody else. And uh, she came back to me a few months later and said, you know, everything you said was going to happen, <laughs> happened. And I would much rather be with someone who's going to be upfront and honest about what I can expect than somebody who's just going to kind of tell me what I want to hear.
1: Well, and Emily, I think that, that that last point points to it's not sufficient just to talk to one attorney. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I agree. With you that. know, this is Kelly, and I. You know, I just before we we move on from where um, from what Emily was talking about, and then getting into interviewing other, you know, many attorneys or several attorneys. I think that one one question you should ask is whether the attorney that you're meeting with or you're doing the initial consultation is the one you'll be working with, and what yeah, involvement that attorney will have in the case. So you know, it's it's very important. In I'm sure it's as in most attorney client relationships, it's a really like your lawyer, but I think it's pretty critical in the matrimonial context because it's so personal and it's so emotional. Um, so where you might click with the person that you're doing the, you know, the attorney who's doing the consultation, they may assign an associate to handle the day to day and you may not be, um, you may not Like that person as much as you like the attorney, or you might not, you might have some doubts about them. So I think it's important to find out what role the person, what role the attorney, the consulting attorney will have, and then how they handle the day to day. And you shouldn't hesitate about. Um, asking to meet the person who will be hand, handling the day-to-day on your on your case, and I think um, as far as you know in, whether you should interview several attorneys, I I really could go either way on that. Um, I think when you meet the right one, you're going to know. Um, it's sort of I feel like maybe dating a little bit um you know but in you <laughs> know but, but it is right I mean it's you know you can go out for coffee with somebody and you just know you, you, you click and same thing with just maybe just meeting somebody in the professional setting or in a volunteer setting you just know when you're when you trust that person or get along with them and I think that th- that same gut that same instinct should be brought to uh, the table when selecting your matrimonial attorney I find you know when people go you know From attorney to attorney to figure out who they want to work with they can get overwhelmed um you know with a lot a lot of information and as you said earlier mandy it's already an overwhelming process because your marriage is ending so i don't think that one should feel compelled to interview two three or four lawyers if they think that they've met the if they've met the one
1: right okay that's a good point so um should people expect to pay for that initial consult?
0: Uh, this is Kelly. I, I think so. Uh, here in New York City, it is common practice that the consultation um, has a fee associated with it. And it, we, as lawyers, you know, we're very busy. So, you know, we just can't, we have to, you know, charge for our time, but also it prevents, uh, tur- uh, you know, potential clients just from shopping around from lawyer to lawyer and potentially conflicting out their spouse from meeting with particular lawyers. Um, So our, our rate here in the city is typically it's a flat rate for a consultation. It's our hourly rate and a consultation is usually anywhere from an hour to two hours.
2: So um, I would just say, uh, this is Emily, uh, one of the reasons I think that we charge for consultations also is because we try to make them, you know, very productive. If you have a prenuptial agreement, you can send that to us. We'll read it before the consultation. If you have specific concerns about, you know, an issue, you might raise that for us before the consultation. We can do a little preliminary research on it before we meet with you if it's something that would require some kind of specialized research, because we want to make sure that the consultation is going to be um, a productive use of your time and our time. I mean, it's just as it's kind of the dating scenario that Kelly mentioned in terms of the client deciding whether it's an attorney that's a good fit, we also have to make sure that it's a client that we think would be a good fit for us, somebody that we can represent well, whose goals are consistent with the way that we practice. Um, So it's important that that meeting be a substantive meeting. Right. And it's, so, it's really
0: – it's no different than, you know, us actually representing the person. I mean, the the amount of, you know, the the effort that we put into these consultations, um, you know, the, the skill set that we bring to them, it – you know, I don't really understand why people don't charge, um, you know, unless they're just sort of, you know, a divorce mail and they're just looking to, you know – get as many clients in the door as possible. But a consultation is a lot of work for a lawyer, and at least for us it is. And, you know, like I said, it could be up to a two-hour meeting. And and as Emily said, we review documents in advance. And um, I think that if somebody is in charging, that may raise a red flag about out what you can expect of the quality of the representation going right. forward. Right, so
1: that's like, that's that's a good point. Is that free doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to get um, a, a really good way of being able to assess how that lawyer is going to handle your case. So I think yeah, you know I would just caution people that um, it's that old adage: you get what you pay for.
0: Um. You know, I say that all the time, Andy, and it's so true. And, you know, if you can't afford the consultation, then maybe you won't be able to afford the represent, you know, the ongoing representation. That said, if, you know, you might if I'll do consultations with people who have been referred to me and. They'll come in and say, "Oh, I definitely can't afford your fees." Um, but you know, the way Emily and I practice is, we do it very leanly. And it turns out that even though we work for you know, a national law firm that's you know that has multiple offices across the country, they find out that we're actually not much more money than. You know some of these smaller shops and because we run our cases leanly and we are very mindful of the fees having a divorce with us could be less expensive than um than going to somebody whose hourly rates are maybe a little bit less right. than ours that's, that's um,
1: a, a good point and um i don't think we're going to have time today to talk about fees and how to manage that but you know maybe we can do that in another show we need to take a short break here and then i have more questions You're listening to Conversations About Divorce, and today we're talking about choosing the right divorce attorney for you. My guests today are Kelly Frawley and Emily Pollock, New York-based matrimonial and family law attorneys and partners at Cassowitz Benson Torres. And um, Before we took the break, you had mentioned about um, do you charge a fee to help avoid people um, having consults and conflicting out. Can you explain what you mean by
0: conflicting out? Sure. Uh, this is Kelly. I So in, in New York, I don't know how it is in Colorado, and if you meet with an attorney at a law firm and you provide information to them about your marriage and about the impending divorce, you are giving them confidential information that you would not want them to have if they were going to be representing your spouse, if you decide not to retain them. So what we do here in New York is if we meet with one spouse, even if that spouse does not retain us, we will not meet with the other spouse because we have received confidential information. And so uh, it's, you know, there is sort of a Approach that some litigants have taken, and there's case law on this where they'll call up a bunch of the top name divorce lawyers and just shout information over the phone, and then say that their spouse can never retain them because they've already given information to that firm. So we're not talking about those situations. We're talking about where somebody actually comes in, does a consultation, gives you confidential information, and if they decide not to work with you, you be arguably conflicted oh, okay. out of representing for their that.
1: Um We had also, we've mentioned a couple of times about how overwhelming this is. So when you go for that meeting, that initial consult with an attorney,
2: is it a good idea to take a friend with you? Um, this is Emily. Um, there, it certainly can be. Um, there are a couple of things, concerns that you should Work your way through before you make that choice. The first is that um, if you bring a friend or a family member, some people bring a, a parent or a sibling. Um, if you if you do have somebody else there with you, attorney-client privilege will not apply to the conversation that you have. So, to the extent that you're providing information that um, you know at some point down the line in the case, you wouldn't want the other side to know. That's something to be aware of. Um, in addition. It can be a, um, a very intimate conversation. I mean, marriages are intimate relationships. So if you're going to be discussing why your marriage is not working, you may be talking about things that you wouldn't want other people to be aware of. Um, people will often talk to us about their sex lives, about psychiatric issues, about substance abuse issues, maybe even just behavior in the dynamic of the relationship that um, other people aren't aware of. So you should think through that before you come to the consultation uh, because it is important that in the consultation you feel that you can be forthcoming with your attorney we can be most helpful to you if we really know everything about the case and everything about the circumstances and we can give you the best picture of what we think would be a good approach for you and where your case might go if we have all the information that being said it can be exceedingly helpful to have somebody there because it's, it's an overwhelming process and having somebody else who can not only help you keep track of the information that you receive by taking notes or even just being another person to say, yes, I heard that also, um, but it can also be somebody who can help you kind of evaluate whether this is an attorney that, you, that you'd want to work with. Um, what's their impression of this person? Does it seem like it's a good fit? Is the chemistry good? Do they like the way that they talked about what their approach would be? Um, so yeah, it can always be helpful to have a, a trusted person there with you. You just need to be aware of those other concerns yeah, before you uh, make that choice.
1: I'm reminded I had a, a client who had a traumatic brain injury. So she, was, she struggled with short-term memory retention. So I did go with her to mm-hmm. her attorney meetings because in the, I think that that was helpful both for the attorney and her, because there was somebody else just mm-hmm. helping to make sure that we were meeting deadlines and make sure that we were providing the information that was needed.
0: Right. And I think there, there, if you were actually offering that type of assistance, it would be protected by privilege. Right. Um, if I, if I, you know, what I often do um, with with clients when it's initial consultation, I, I always, we always give the, you know, we always inform them that there is no confidentiality. And what I try to suggest um, firmly is that you know their friend can wait in the reception area, and we can we can start the meeting with them, and we could always end the meeting with them. But I think it's important that there is the middle piece of the meeting where it's just you and the right. potential client um and i think it it also you know i also i, I love i the, one of my favorite things about doing matrimonial law is when you meet with a client who is just really worn down at the beginning of the case and um you know they're intimidated by the process which i think is totally natural they're they're intimidated by their spouse which unfortunately happens more often than i would than i would like and when you just see that client grow over the course of the case and 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 you know, just become stronger. And I find that when they come into the consultation, they're maybe hunched over a little bit. And when they leave on their own, because they've done it, they've gotten into your office, they've asked questions, they've armed themselves with information, they walk out taller. And I think when they bring in somebody, they can just continue to rely on that person. And it doesn't really help them be better and more informed in the process, which I think is critical to getting through it um in a thing so way so that's a,
1: a really interesting observation i like that um i have a question one of, one of the questions to ask the attorney that you're interviewing with i'm wondering if this is a, a reason i would want to know is what are what are the reasonable expectations for turnaround times for responding to emails and phone
2: calls what could i expect if i was working with you This is Emily. Um, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that it's important that you find an attorney that is um, responsive in a way that's appropriate to you in terms of asking that question, doesn't get defensive. Um, at, at the same time, you know, one of the things that, that we really do with our clients is try to reinforce with them how important it is that they maintain and work on developing their life outside of their yeah. divorce case even during their divorce. So, um, you know, absolutely you have a right to have somebody who's going to be responsive to you and who's going to address the issues that you raise. But I don't know that it really serves people to have somebody who is going to be engaging with them at 11 p.m. on non-emergency issues in their case. Um, I think it actually is helpful to clients to say, um, you know, why I put those things in an email and we'll have a call tomorrow at X time and we'll talk about them. Or, you know, if you we can work however is helpful for you, if you want to send me emails as thoughts occur to you. You can certainly do that, and then I will, you know, respond to them all at once. Um, but it's, it's more expensive for yes. you if I read 15 yes. emails during the day each as they come in and respond to them instead of taking an email at the end of the day and saying, you know, here's, here's the answer to everything that you've raised. Uh, and it's also not helpful to you because that means all day long you're also getting emails about your divorce right. case. And at most points in a divorce case, that's not necessary. Right. So it's better to have the ability to mentally disengage from the litigation and figure out what else is going on, <laughs> whether it's taking care of yourself mentally for the non-legal aspects of the fallout of your divorce, or starting to develop and build the life that you're going to have once you are divorced. Right. I also think
0: um, if in a, if a lawyer is getting back to you within minutes of you sending an email, you have to wonder. Is that answer really a well-thought-out answer or is that, you know, a knee-jerk reaction? You know, there are times where, you know, I'll think about responding a certain way to a client and then – like, wait, just wait a second. And then I take a different approach because I've had time to think about it or talk to Emily about what next steps – should, you know, should we should take in a case? So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily, I think what, you know, to Emily's point, it's not good for the client, um, but also are you getting well thought out advice? Right. Right. Because the attorney is not your friend, right? It's not, not, they shouldn't just like be hitting you back with text messages or emails, <laughs> you know, with emojis <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, Yeah. That would make my life easier, though, if I could communicate an emoji. Right, but it'd probably be cheaper for the client too, or less. Yeah, less.
1: So, what are some of the red flags? The um, that your attorney isn't doing, or, or tell, tell me that like, you've had this conversation with the attorneys. How do you decide? What are the, what are the key factors that should go into your decision
0: about which attorney to work with? I have to just this is Kelly. I just have to say one that it, it if they look at their phone, if they look at their email, when you're in your initial uh. consultation with them, I think that you um, should just even should knock even you know the most reputable, intelligent lawyer <laughs> off your list because if they're doing that when they're trying to secure your business what's going to happen when they already have it.
1: Right. So it means that they're not, they're not focused on you. They're not paying attention to you. They're kind of going through the motions.
2: To to that, to that same end, I think if they're, um, you know, if it's very difficult to set up a consult time with them because they're not responsive or they never have any, um, you know, availability uh, and they take a long time to get back to you. If that's what's happening when they're working on getting your business, it's not going to get better uh, during the case. So you should keep that in mind as well. Okay. Um, I
0: think tardiness is also another one if they're not taking you on time um, because you need your lawyer to be on time for meetings. You you know, because everyone's paying for, you know, if you you go to a a settlement meeting where they're, you know, the other side is present – If everyone's just waiting around for your lawyer to show up, that costs money. It's also not a really great impression that um, your lawyer's sending to the opposing side. It says that maybe your case isn't that important to the lawyer. Um, So I think, and also for court, we have to be be on time for court, and I think Emily and I both are the same, that if we're not there 15, 20 minutes early, we're late. So um, I think punctuality is incredibly important. Okay. And if, 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 they're, if they're a few minutes late and taking you to the consult, that's one thing. But if it's 15 minutes, 10 minutes, I mean, I frankly think even any time after <laughs> is, is not okay. But
2: Okay, those are great um, red flags. Um, we, I also, I just, one more, I'm just going to, I know we touched on this before, but I, I really think you have to be careful of an attorney who just sort of yeses you. Um, part of our guide, particularly in a process that is so emotionally fraught as divorces, part of our job is to give you reasonable boundaries and expectations. Um, People are not always at their most reasonable in a divorce case. So you want an advisor who is going to speak to you about what you should realistically expect. Um, And sometimes that's not going to be, you know, an answer that you like, but there's only so much variation in terms of what can happen in a case because we're dealing with a court. And so, you know, we do have a sense that there are things that can happen in a case and there are things that can't, you know, there are best case scenarios and worst case scenarios. And what will actually happen is probably somewhere in the middle. But um, I think that people should be guided by um, their instinct if somebody is kind of, you know, giving them, selling them a line that they're not going to be able to deliver on. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, We're almost up on time, but I have one more question that I absolutely have to ask you. Um, I do get asked sometimes by clients, um, I often get asked to give them referrals for attorneys, but sometimes somebody will say to me, who's the most aggressive attorney that you know? Um, And I have my own take on that, but I want to hear what your take is on that question and whether that's um, what people really need.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess this is Kelly, and I'm sure Emily will chime in. I, I don't even really know what that means in a matrimonial case. Um, you know, we work. We are a very small department. There's a few of us in the matrimonial family law department here at Casowitz, and we are um, among mostly commercial litigators. And our firm is known to take an aggressive approach in their in their litigation. Um, in their litigations. But you know, for matrimonial, I, I, really just don't know what that means. If it, you know, I think you could be aggressive, but you could be smart about it. You don't, um, you know, and sometimes you have to be aggressive where there's domestic violence. Um, you know, the kids, the kids are somehow endangered or, um, maybe somebody's, wasting money, and if you don't move quickly by going into court, you're going to, you know, you'll risk some serious harm to your children or to your own physical safety. So I think there being aggressive is is fine, and, you know, sometimes it's really necessary, especially when you represent somebody who has been um, suffering from domestic violence, but where it's just across the board to be aggressive, I think it's totally, you know, it's just destructive, and, you know, we we know, I'm sure Emily and I could probably each write down a list of three names, and there would be the same three on each of our lists and, you know, who are just known to not really, you know, take a one-size-fits-all approach to cases and, and just run to court and take make the same arguments and uh, um, so I don't think I, I'm sure, Mandy, you know, you're thinking probably what you know, I think a lot of us think is that you don't want aggressive. You don't want the pit bull. You don't want the shark for sure. But then sometimes there are situations that do require you to have a lawyer that has a bit of a heavy hand to actually get you to move because otherwise you'll just sit in your life and in the same position and not do anything. Emily, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I I, I also would say that I think People often get, you know, it's not uncommon for people to be angry when they're engaging in a divorce case, and it's very easy as a lawyer to facilitate that anger, to foment the anger, to, um, you know, help ratchet up hostility in the litigation, and ultimately it it just does you a disservice, uh, both because the process is more expensive, it takes longer, um, and it just capitalizes on negative feelings instead of helping you move to the place that you want to be after the divorce is over. So to get an attorney who whose hallmark is you know this bulldog that we are all picturing um, is just not effective in the way that I think people think it's going to be. I think people think they're going to get justice, they're going to get vindication, they're going to really stick it to the other side, and you don't get to do that in divorce. That's just not and how the it
0: judges works. know. The judges know who the the sharks yeah. are.
2: Right. So, so my own take. You know, I think what happens is you end up you end up losing credibility and you just end up having all of this um resentment that has nowhere to go, which makes it very difficult for you to then engage in productive settlement conversations. And ultimately that's what should happen in divorce cases other than the circumstances that you know Kelly mentioned where there's real disparity of power either because of a history of of, of abuse or you know some other reason that there's just not an equal playing field. What should be happening in divorce is that people should be working together to settle the case and right. be done with it. So, particularly if think, there are children,
0: you know, to that point, uh, you know, clients—if they want you to be aggressive or you know, almost irrational and fight back and just throw blood—they don't realize that, that for us I and mean, when we don't want to do that because we don't think it's the right approach, clients don't realize that it's that, that's actually an easier approach for us as lawyers. The really hard right, job, right. as being a matrimonial lawyer, is settling a case. It's much easier to settle, a, much easier to try a case and settle a case. It's much more, you know, taxing on us to calm the client down, say, let's just take the more, you know, a calmer approach. And that's a lot of work to can, you know, because not only you have to convince the client that it's the right way, it's the best way for them, but then, you know, then you actually have to, you know, effectuate it. It's not as though if you don't file a motion, there's no work to be done. So it's, it's, it's not that we're taking the easy road for, in fact, I think it's a much, it's the much more challenging road. Um,
1: So my own take is kind of um, in line with what you say, it's aggressive, isn't the, Adjective I would choose. I'd be looking for somebody who's resilient, persistent, has the expertise, who's going to give me um, informed advice about the cost benefit of any strategy and certainly not just go after something and is racking up the fees.
2: Absolutely, and I you know this is Emily, you want somebody who's capable of being a strong advocate, of course, um so you know you want somebody who can be effective in court, who is able to you know argue motions, who's able to go to trial if that's where the case goes, but you mm-hmm. also want somebody who is not having that be the goal of the litigation. Right. You want somebody whose who's, who's focus is what's best for you, ultimately. And you, as a client, make the choice. You know, you're always the one who says, yes, I like that deal or no, I'm not doing it. But you want an advisor who's going to be helping you do what makes the most sense, not what's going to make them the most money.
1: Right. Well, Emily and Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Um I really appreciate you sharing all your tips because who you work with is your divorce, divorce attorney really matters. And I think it's important to make the right choice to start with.
0: Could thank not have anymore. Yeah. Great. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Listeners. My guests today were Kelly Frawley and Emily Pollock, New York based matrimonial and family law attorneys and partners at Castlewitz Benson Torres and the website is Kasowitz, K A S O W I T Z.com, and they're on Twitter at Kasowitz LLP, so you can follow them. Finding the right attorney to work with is critical, it'll have a profound impact on the outcome of your divorce, your pocketbook, and on your future. And putting the legwork in up front, understanding your needs, doing the research, interviewing attorneys is all about investing in your future. If you're a regular listener, thank you. You'll also know that I'm always stressing the importance of making informed, intentional decisions. And Kelly and Emily have shared some really solid, sound advice here. Follow it. You won't regret it. Thank you for listening today. If you'll hop over to my blog, SinceMyDivorce.com, you'll find a synopsis of this conversation and you can follow me at SinceMyDivorce on Twitter and on Facebook. And I hope you'll join us again next time for more conversations about divorce.
2: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)